love you, God. You are worthy of all the praise. We love you. Thank you, Jesus, for the Holy Ghost that is in this place. Hallelujah, hallelujah. We adore you this morning. Amen. There is coming a day where every knee will bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I want to get a head start above the rest, and I want to declare that today and let him know not only is he Lord, but he is my Lord. Amen. He is my Lord. I want him to reign in my life. So I'm going to declare praise today and give him obeisance. Amen. Amen. Thankful for the Holy Ghost that is in this place. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me. I'll be reading from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 21, and verse 11, 12, and verse 13. And it is a, a high honor to be up here to preach to this great people. The pastor is with Brother Cosme this morning, and we are praying that God does a great work there this morning, and he'll return this evening. Thankful, thankful for our leadership. Amen. Thankful for this church and the saints that are here. Where would we be if it wasn't for the church? Let me be a testimony today and tell you the church is the place to be. The church is where it's at. Maybe a lot of places, but thank God for the church. Amen, amen. I want to read 1 Samuel 21 and verse 11. Speaking of King David, the Bible says, And the servants of Achish said unto him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing one to another of him in dances, saying, Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? And David laid up these words in his heart, and was sore afraid of Achish the king of Gath. And he changed his behavior before them, and feigned himself mad in their hands, scrabbled on the doors of the gate and let his spittle fall down on his beard. From this passage of scripture, I want to draw today's lesson's title. That is this, The Method in the Madness. The Method in the Madness. Could you put your Bibles down? Lift up your voices. Raise your hands. Let's ask the Lord to help us this morning. We thank you, Lord, for everything that you're doing in our midst. And I pray, God, that you move with a fervor, that you touch each and every heart, that you touch these lips of clay as I speak to your people. Lord, I trust you, and I praise you, and I give you the glory in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The method in the madness. Method. Methods are just forms of procedure to accomplish something. Something especially in a systematic way, or it could be the orderliness of your thoughts. It's a method, the orderliness of your behavior. Method is important. The way we do things, the method and on and by which we do them is important. And the better you are at your method, then the end product is going to be even better. A lot of times in my office where I work, we are testing out the methods of those others that have submitted maps to us, their methods of surveying and how they outlined a property boundary. We want to make sure that their methodology meets uh, the, the criteria in order to establish boundaries. It's important, and you certainly don't want an encroachment by your neighbor 
And it happens often where their fence that you find out they're just building, it happens to be three feet into your property and you now have a problem in a neighbor that you want to get rid of. And so we try to ensure the best practices possible, the best methods possible. If land corners are removed, we want to make sure. And oftentimes I have lengthy conversations with surveyors about their methods and how they should establish points that have been set a long time ago because the old landmark cannot be moved from its position because it holds veracity and it marks something that should never change. I'm thankful for the Word of God that never changes. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the Word of God shall stand forever. forever. So let's not change the Word of God. Let it stand on its own. And I say read it and let it dictate to you the paths of life. Because if you follow those old landmarks and the method by which the Bible has given, you will find success in your life. There could be methods by madness. There was a man by the name of Henry Freeman in the early 1900s, and he was a lifeboatman of Whitby, England. And he did something unlike the other lifeboatmen who wore, they wore belts that helped suspend them in water. But this man, this Henry Freeman, he wore a cork life jacket. It was made and given to him, and he encouraged everybody, you should wear this cork life jacket. But none wanted to wear it. They refused it. It looked a little clunky. It seemed as though it interfered with the movement of everyday activity. And one day, during a great, great storm, the lifeboat that all these men worked on was launched several times, several times, to help struggling vessels and sailors. And they were very successful in helping vessels come to harbor during the rough waters and saving people whose boats were crashing at the violent waves and bringing them back to shore. But there was an unfortunate event on this day because after the sixth time this life vessel was launched that day, a horrible wave came and capsized the boat. Everyone on that boat, about a dozen men, passed and died. They drowned at sea except for this Henry Freeman, because he was wearing this life vest made of cork. It kept him suspended and buoyant above the treacherous waters. And his method that seemed to be mad turned out to be something that saved his life. And then from thenceforth, it became a standard for all the life boatmen to wear a vest to keep them safe. Sometimes the method that we use may seem crazy. It may seem like we're mad, but it could be the method that saves your life. You know, I just want to pause and say for a moment that people think the church isn't where it's at. The church is crazy. The church doesn't have the right answers. And our method 
may be in madness, they say, but this is the only method I know by which we can be saved. This is the only truth that there is. This is the only thing worth living for if it wasn't for the Word of God and the Holy Ghost and this truth that we preach. What is there to live for? You will die in chaos. You will die hopeless. You will die not having a dream of being in a life eternal with our Master. I'm thankful for this method, this only way, the way of salvation. We read in the Scriptures an interesting story about one of the most decorated men in the Bible, the man by the name of David. He was a man who was declared to be and is a man after God's own heart. What a testimony that David has, this passion that he carries. He always wanted to please the Lord, even though he made many, many crazy mistakes. David was a man who knew how to find the heart of God. He was a worshiper, as Brother Brass so eloquently taught the other night. He was a worshiper, and that is what led him to being a king. He was a man favored of God. And we find him early in life. Nothing is said much about him, but we find him in his action and what he is doing. He is keeping the sheep. He is doing what his father had asked him to do, this poor family uh, these sheep herders, and we, we notice that he is obedient unto his father, and he is not somebody that is mentioned as being arrogant, but he is a man that loves to please others by being obedient. There's a lot to be said about obedience. Amen. I want to be obedient to the man of God in my life. I want to be obedient to the elders in my life. I want my children to be obedient a lot of effort has gone forth from parenthood just to keep children obedient. Even over this pulpit, we are constantly reminded that the Word of God is to be obeyed. And this is the character of David, a man who knew how to take instruction, a man full of praise. Many of his psalms that he wrote are full of praise. They're all worshiping God. Even in anguish, Even in anger, we can find David, a man that would talk to God about his anger, talk to God about his failures, go to the Lord in prayer, and yet he is always worshiping God and giving him the adoration and the glory that he deserves. What a model that we could uh, take in just to give God the glory that he deserves. It takes a relationship with him more than just a visit to a church house, more than just a, a, a friendship with a saint of God. But you really have to have a relationship with the Lord. You have to love him. And the only way that you can love something is to get to know that something or that someone and to get intimate with him. And we can do that every day. We have such a freedom, a liberty to worship and to talk to the Lord. What a gift we have today in America, this freedom of religion that they're trying to take away. But I say we take advantage of it and we go to him in prayer and we talk to him daily and we find him. When you love the Lord with all your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, it is hard to depart from him. David loved the Lord. And so we find him one day, not even invited to the anointing ceremony where Samuel the prophet is looking to anoint the second king in Israel. So Jesse brings all of his sons, 
his handsome sons, his strong sons, and none of them were chosen to be king. Samuel asked, is there another in this house? Because the Lord assured him, this man Jesse has a son, and this son is going to be the next ruler over the people of Israel. And Samuel asked Jesse, where is your other son? When Jesse confirms, yes, I do have another. He was out in the field tending to the sheep. This is what caught God's attention. He wasn't worried about fanfare. He wasn't worried about being popular. He didn't care about what other people thought. He was just worried about doing a job and doing it well and doing it like his father had told him. There's a lot of characteristics there that we could borrow from David. Sometimes it's just better to do what the father told you to do. Don't worry about what other people think. Don't try and impress other people. Just do your job, stay in your lane, and do it well. I believe wholeheartedly, emphatically, that God has given a gift to every man and every woman in this place. And he's called you for a purpose. And if you just lean on to what he has given you and you hook in and you do what God wants you to do, that you will be blessed above all men just by obeisance. And this is where David is found. And finally, we see that David is brought in straight from the field into this party that he didn't even know what was happening. And the Lord spoke to Samuel and said, anoint him. And he was anointed and he was to be king as a young man, anointed to be the next king over Israel. Can you imagine what qualifications did this man have that would, that would match Saul, who was a, a man head and shoulders above the rest, who was a warrior? How could this young ruddy lad be somebody that was just so uh, ready and qualified to be the king? Because David was a man after God's own heart. He loved the Lord and he worshiped the Lord. And the next time we find David throughout Scripture, we see that he, has be, he's be, he is getting favor from men and he's getting favor from God. And then Jesse once again tells his son David, I need you to go check in the valley of Elah how the war is going against the Philistines. I need you to take this cheese, this meal to your brothers. And while you're doing that, find out how the war is going. And so David, again, under the obedience of his father's word, travels to the valley of Elah to check on his brethren. And when he arrives on the scene, he notices that there is a taunting giant that is screaming and bellowing to the armies of God, hey, send me a man that will fight me this day. David, astounded, this man who didn't know anything other than that the Lord is great and the Lord is worthy for fighting for and the, the Lord is the king and nobody defies the king, not David's king. And so he is ready. This angers him. This angers him that the armies of the Lord are being defied by an uncircumcised Philistine, someone who doesn't even recognize the Lord. I think that we should borrow a lot from David. Let me just say again, there's a lot in his character that we can take in just as he is talking to this giant. Who are you to defy the armies of the Lord? We need to get upset when people try to defy the church. We need to get angry when people talk bad about our brethren. We need to stand up and fight for the Lord's army and declare that this is the army of the Lord. This is, the, this is where the favor of the Lord abides. I don't want you talking down my church. I don't want you tearing down or destroying these people. These are God's people. So David says, I'll fight him. He's not a man of war. He hasn't proven 
the armor of Saul or the armor of any. He hasn't wielded a sword at all. We just find him knowing how to use a slingshot, a tool that he probably used when he was fending off the violent animals from the sheep. He was very good at it, obviously. And so he goes to prove that the Lord is great and not to be defied. And you know the Sunday school story well, how that he picked up five smooth stones, but he only needed one because the Lord was on his side. And he came prepared to battle, and he told the giant, you come to me with sword and spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. And that day a great victory was wrought for Israel because David took down the giant and removed his head from his shoulders, and he became a valiant champion that day. I find no wrong in David. I find no fault in him. At this point, we can just determine that he is a man that loves the Lord. He is a man that worships God and stands for what is right. He is a man of obeisance. And he is anointed king and fully probably doesn't comprehend what that means. But he is still doing what he was always uh, skilled in doing. And so David conquers Goliath in the valley of Elah. And afterward, David and the son of Saul, Jonathan, make a connection. And Jonathan falls in love with David as a friend. And they make bonds together and doesn't even worry about, he doesn't get jealous that David is going to be the king when it should have been Jonathan to be the next on the throne. No, he loved David and he made a friendship with him. But as David and Jonathan connected, there became a disconnect between David and King Saul. Because soon the evil spirit of the Lord, that, or the evil spirit that the Lord sent rather, would go into the chamber of Saul and it would, it would haunt him. And so David would come because it was told to him that David, he knew how to worship. David knows how to play a harp. And so David would come and he would soothe Saul with his plane. And this was something that made Saul very glad. And so he put him in charge of armies. And so David would go and he would fight the Philistines at the command of Saul. And he would come back a victorious champion. Insomuch that the ladies in the streets would sing songs about David. And they would dance and they would say that David, Saul has slain his thousands but David has slain his ten thousands. This got into the ear of the jealous Saul. And he started to become angry with David and disconnect with him. And then started to plan and devise a solution on how to get rid of David. How to rid him from Israel. And this was a, a ploy of his. He wanted David to marry one of his daughters. And, and the first daughter deal didn't work out so Saul understood that Mike McCall loved David very much and so he tried to arrange a wedding date with David and his daughter McCall and David would say things like why do you want to favor me so much I'm paraphrasing why do I find favor with with you Saul who am I but just a shepherd boy on the backside of a mountain that comes from a poor family and and Saul really was just trying to, to uh, send him a, a lure and, and bring him into death. He said, well, you know, 
I know you have nothing to offer, David. I know you have nothing to give me. You don't owe me a dowry. But if you give me the hundred foreskins of Philistines, then I'll let you go into this marriage. And David, being an obedient man and knowing that the enemies of the Lord needed to be eradicated and put to an end, he went out and did what Saul had mentioned. Saul thought surely David would, draw, would die in this effort of killing the enemies of the Lord. But instead of getting 100 Philistine foreskins, he got 200. And he brought them back to Saul. And then a marriage ensued. But all the while, Saul is getting hostile. Saul is becoming very upset with David. First Samuel's account of this is very interesting. It's a good read because you can see the ever-increasing pressures given to both men and how each, how each handled the madness, how each handled the situation that they were in. And so Saul, hostility, it is growing. It is increasing. And one time while David was playing skillfully that harp to soothe the evil spirit of the Lord that was upon Saul, Saul took a javelin and threw it at him, missing him not once but twice but because David was a called man of God, God protected him and he found escape. He found refuge. He found a way out. And so he doesn't understand what is happening. David isn't, isn't he's clueless. Why is he being marked as a man that should be put to death? And so he goes one day to his dear friend Jonathan and he says, I am not going to eat meat at the king's table because your father is wroth with me. He desires to kill me. He wants to put an end to my life. Can you find out what this is all about? And so Jonathan, he says, okay, for three days I want you to hide. And this is what we'll do. I'm going to shoot some arrows in the field and I'm going to send a lad to go grab those arrows. If I tell the lad everything's well, it's to the right, then you can come. If I say to the lad, the arrows are beyond thee, get thee away, go away further, then that is your sign that you should leave and not come. Saul is going to try and destroy you. The first day at the king's table, David didn't show up and Saul didn't make any mention of it, thinking that maybe he was sick. The second day, Saul noticed that there wasn't a David at the table and so he mentions, in it, mentions this to Jonathan and Jonathan says, uh, Dad, he asked me for leave because there's sacrifices going on in Jerusalem and he wanted to be a part of that, so I gave him leave. leave. And that's when Saul revealed his intentions to his son, Jonathan, and let him know, why did you do this thing unto me? I want to kill David. And so that is how the rest of this story is unfolding. David now, he is on the run. David is now somebody that needs shelter but doesn't know where to go. He doesn't know how to find support other than going back to the men of God. And we find him going to Ahimelech, a priest. And he goes at night by himself. And he talks to Ahimelech and says that he's on a mission for the king. He doesn't let Ahimelech know what is happening. He doesn't reveal unto him that his very own king is out to destroy David. Ahimelech, he is very concerned because what is a man doing at night without an army coming to his house? Says he has a plan, but there's no army. And David then asks him for provision. But the only provision that could be given was the shoe bread offered to the priest only. And so there was a, an agreement made there, and David took shoe bread for sustenance. David also asked for a weapon, which, which caused another uh, moment of confusion in Ahimelech's 
mind. He said he doesn't understand why a warrior is on a mission from the king and doesn't have a weapon. And, and, so, and so David says, well, I was in a haste and I didn't grab a weapon. And Ahimelech tells him, the only thing we have here wrapped up in a cloth is the sword that you used to behead Goliath with. And that is the very weapon that David took when he left. But little did Ahimelech know, although David did see there was a, an Edomite by the name of Doeg who, was, who fellowshiped with Saul, who saw all of this transaction take place. And one day underneath the tree where Saul was sitting, he was complaining to everyone why they don't favor him and who's going to bless them. It's not going to be David. It's going to be Saul. And, and Doeg tells Saul of what David had done to Ahimelech. And so Saul gets very angry, and he brings all the priests of Ahimelech, and he asks him, why are you, why are you helping David? I'm, I am trying to kill David. Why are you helping him out? Why are you giving him weapons, and why are you feeding him? And why are you inquiring of the Lord for him? And Ahimelech boldly spoke to him and said, in fewer or less words, I know nothing of this. This is what I know. And Saul didn't want to listen. He thought Ahimelech was lying, so he commanded his army to slay all the priests. Kill them all. Take out all these men of God. Just a point of clarification here. This is the same Saul that when he went to fight the Amalekites, he could not kill all the priests. He could not take the blood of everything that he was commanded to do. Yet, when it came to the godly, this was the problem with Saul. He neglected the things of God. And he was a king that was all about self. And he was fearful. And he was worried about his throne. And the men in the army of Saul were afraid to kill King David. Or kill, excuse me, Ahimelech and all the priests. Even though they were asked multiple times. But this Edomite, this man by the name of Doeg... He took on the responsibility. And 85 priests and their families were killed that day by an Edomite. Can I tell you it's important on who you make friends with. Don't be friends with an Edomite. Keep in your circle people that love the things of God. Love the house of God. Love the word of God. Love the men of God. There was somebody who found escape from this slaughter. And it was a son of Ahimelech by the name of Abiathar. And he ran to David and let David know about everything that was transpiring. Before this event, David is seeking refuge. He's a refugee. He's trying to find cover. And so he goes to a strange place. He goes to Gath. This is where our scripture reading comes from. He goes to Gath, and the king of Gath is Achish, that's his name, and he's seeking refuge. He wants to hide from King Saul, and he goes to the enemy's camp. This is the very camp, Gath, where Goliath is from. And so he's trying to find a place to hide. But David doesn't fit in there, because as soon as he shows up, the people of the city start to claim, isn't this David? King Achish, isn't this the one that the women sing songs about who killed his ten thousands? That's, that's David, the one who is to be king. 
It's incredible how the favor of God precedes someone. Even in a day where there isn't social media, the fame that was put on him because of the anointing of God and fame in a good way, a good light, not something to be popular with, but the anointing of God was upon him. And people knew who he was. It wasn't like a photo was sent to everybody's cell phone. They just recognized that is the man, David. And so we see David hearing these words of these people of Gath, and he becomes afraid because he is being exploited. And David does something out of character. He changed his behavior. He acted like a man-man, madman. He feigned himself. He started to drool, and, and the, the spittle, it fell down on his beard, and he was scratching at the gates, and he was scratching at the walls, insomuch that the king said, this can't be the one David. He is not a man that is losing his mind. And David escaped barely that day by using a method of madness that changed his course. And it was shortly after that that Doeg killed all these priests. And now we find him at the cave Adullam. And this is where people are starting to go to David. His family's going to him. They're, they're starting to recognize his leadership. And he wants to do the right thing. So he puts his parents in a safe place. A, a place far away called Moab. And he tries to do the right thing. And here comes the bad news from Abiathar. Abiathar tells David, this is what's happening. It's going down. If you didn't think it was real, it's real now, David. And so David is in a state of confusion, but he knows only how to obey the Lord and to worship the Lord. And so now that the man of God, another man of God, a priest, the son of Ahimelech is with him, and he brought with him the ephod of the priest, he knows that he has a direct connection with the Lord God Almighty. And so he starts talking to the Lord about where his next move should be. This is a man that is to take the throne. But this is not how you want to take the throne. This is not the favored way to be called into the Lord's army and to be the anointed one. God, I didn't know everything that I was going to have to endure when you called me and when you anointed me to be a child of yours. Can I tell you, you just need to stay close to God. Always commune with God. Never put God on the back burner. If anybody had an excuse to forfeit, to throw in the towel, and to quit and ask God all kinds of questions, and why did God put him through this anointing phase and call him the next king when he's about ready to die by the hand of the present king, it was this very David. If God has put a call on your life, then I tell you today, my friend, hold on to it. I don't care how old that call was or how long ago it was. God needs you in his kingdom. God has a purpose for you. You're going to do great things in the Lord. You have to endure some things. There's going to be some friends that despise you and reject you. Your close ones are going to leave you. But if God's on your side, that's the only friend you need. You just listen to him. You talk to him. You worship him. A lot of what we do as saints, as ministry, as the people of God, is we encourage people. Hey, I know it's tough. Church, church is a hospital. It's, an, it's a place to be encouraged. It's reminding you of things you need to hear over and over again. Hey, God loves you. You're not a failure. You may have fallen, but you're not a failure. God sees you where you are. God understands your predicament. 
So David, he does a noble thing. He finds out that the enemies of the Lord, they are going to a city, an Israel city by the name of Keilah. And they are they're going through and plundering the city. So David goes and he defeats the, Israel, or the Philistines and saves the city of Keilah. And then he is pinpointed. His location, his whereabouts are made known to Saul. And it's told David he's quickly coming to this place. And so David communes with the Lord, what shall I do? And he, he, he has the ephod with him, he has a, a priest with him. And God says this, listen to how God responds. God says, if you stay, if you stay, David, the people of Keilah will turn you over into Saul's hands. Even though Saul had just delivered them and saves the city, these people will turn you over. And so what does David do? He gets up and he flees to another place. Can I tell you that God not, o- not only knows the things that will be, but he knows the things that could be. He didn't instruct David to get up and to leave. He said, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. If you stay here, this is the folly you'll find yourself in. And that was enough for David to say, okay, I don't want to be in folly. I don't want to be a captive. I don't want to die. I'm going to flee the city. God knows what could be. A lot of times we, we tell you what could be. Living in sin, you know, the wages of it is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It shows how God is sovereign. He knows all things and He's in control. But He never impedes upon your decision. You have the choice to worship Him. You have the choice to come to Sunday morning service. You have the choice to make a decision today. And David had that choice Sometimes we want God just to tell us exactly what to do. And I can say, I would rather be that person. God, you tell me what to do, and I will do it. That's an easy way out. I'll do it. Just tell me. But sometimes he doesn't answer us in that fashion. He just tells us, if you don't do this, this is what could happen. So David always calculated his safety by his nearness to God. God, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to seek your counsel. I'm going to seek your will. I'm going to follow after you because you're going to give me direction. My help cometh from the Lord. Read his Psalms. They talk about his misery. They talk about his questioning. But he always stayed near to God. Remember, this is the man that was after God's own heart. He wanted to please God. Even though he had failures, he wanted to please God. He had a method to his madness. And so... David is running, and I want to say this, that God calls us to be in the light. He doesn't call us to be scared or in hiding. He doesn't want you to go be in a cave all the rest of your life and wait for him to come. There are things in the world, even in this present day, we could go through them and talk about what's happening in our nation what's happening overseas in Israel. And we could easily become frightened. But God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and of a sound mind. God wants you to have clarity. He wants you to feel safe with Him. Sometimes things happen 
Ahimelech did the right thing and there was a great slaughter. But we don't live in fear. We don't cry when the king summons us and asks us what happened. We tell the truth and let God handle the rest. God didn't want you to be in a dark place, but he wanted you to shine as a bright light in a dark place. We should not hide in darkness. Amen. When God calls you to something, be bold, be confident, and know that the Lord is on your side. Part of faith and part of trust is knowing that if you're doing what God told you to do, he'll take care of the rest. Don't worry about the current situation. Just worry about, hey, am I doing what God wants me to do? Am I in the will of God? Have I prayed today and asked for his counsel and sought his will? That's what we should be concerned with. Am I obeying dad's advice? Am I taking care of the sheep? This is why the Lord told him in the Davidic covenant, this is why I chose you. I took you out of the sheepfold because you were a good shepherd and I took you from that place because you know what it is to be close to me. You know how to obey. We should be concerned very much about what the Lord wants us to do. Not what society wants us to do or not the fear they're trying to put into us. We should worry about what pleases the Lord. Can you imagine this this man, this fugitive? A fugitive. He can't go to the enemy's camp because he's a fugitive there. He can't go back to the kingdom because he's a fugitive there. But he's on the run, and during this time, he has methods to his madness. One of them, one of those methods is that he's a man that's always eager to seek the will of God. Our methods sometimes seem mad. Coming to church and worshiping and singing songs of joy while there's terror in the world, death, homicide, suicide. That just seems mad to come and be happy. And the world would like to make light of it just because they're ignorant of the scripture. Just because they're ignorant of the power of God. They don't know the power of God. I read in the news a week or two ago about a female United States soccer player who didn't do well. I forget what happened. She hurt herself. Something happened. I don't know. I don't care to know her name. But she made a stupid statement because all of that had happened to her. And she wasn't able to perform like she knows how to perform. That that was a great example of why God does not exist. They're just ignorant. They're just ignorant of who the Lord is. The Lord just doesn't love one person. He died for everybody. So David, the fugitive, is running. There was a Davidic covenant when David was anointed king and later became king. This was the will of God. That's why he was anointed. David was given a covenant by the Lord in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verses 12 through 17. I'll read. He says, And when the days be fulfilled, the Lord speaking to David, And thou shalt sleep with thy fathers. I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build an house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee, and thine house and thine kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established for how long? Forever. 
Verse 17, according to all these words and according to all this vision, so did Nathan speak these words unto David. There was a promise given to David. And we know later through that lineage that there came a Messiah. And that Messiah, we know his name. It was God Almighty who became flesh. His name is Jesus, the God of creation. Amen. The Holy Ghost that lives within us. And that throne of David is established and will be established forever. God had a plan all along in David's life. And it is in fruition today. And that promise is still ongoing today and will last forever. Never give up on what the Lord has promised you. Never give up no matter what the situation is. Sometimes your method uh, is something that's going to save you. This is a method. Uh, the, you don't, I hear it say at work a time. Somebody says, you know, there's a method to my madness. They're doing something strange at work. What are you doing, man? There's a method to my madness. Or as one guy liked to say, there's a madness to my method. Both work, I think. But there's a method to the madness. There was a lady who had an issue of blood, and you can read about her in Mark chapter 5, who when she heard that Jesus was passing by, she had suffered many things of many physicians. She had spent all that she had. She wasn't bettered. But the Bible says, rather she grew worse. But when she heard that Jesus was passing by, when she heard that he was coming her way, the Bible says that she had a weird method. This weak and feeble lady who had spent everything that she had. She was on her last leg to say. She heard that Jesus was passing by. And so she didn't just cry out, but she made her way with her feeble body. It may seem mad to physicians. How could this weak vessel sustain such abuse? Because the, th the, the multitude was thronging Jesus. He was on a mission to Jairus' house to save this the Jairus' daughter who was already passed away by the time he got there. But she didn't care. She was making her way to where Jesus was. This was her method of madness. She had to do it. She had to get close enough to him just to touch the hem of his garment. And all of a sudden when she did that, when this message she used that could have been mad. She was getting stepped on, pushed aside, told to get away, but it didn't deter her from her goal. She said, there's Jesus, and I got to get to where Jesus is. How fragile are we sometimes when we let the littlest push or the slightest word move us off the path, move us off the direction of what, from where we're heading, and that is to the master. We need to stay focused, and we need to say, no matter what it takes, I'm going to get to where Jesus is, and this is the very thing that caused her to be healed. My only fault with this story is she waited too long. Don't wait till you spend everything that you have. Don't wait till everything is in shambles. You can come to the Lord right now, today. It doesn't matter. You cannot wait for the stars to align with the moon and the sun. Today is the day of salvation. He's a very present God. He's an all-powerful God. There is nothing too small. There is nothing too big that he cannot handle. He loves you and he desires to do something great for you but what's your method of getting to him does it seem mad is it not a favorable method by society as the musicians come and I come to a quick close what if David gave up then his lineage would have not produced the Messiah the whole course of history would have changed because one man would have given up on the will of God in his life. The final contrast between 
David and Saul in this story that we read highlight, highlight a lot of significances of the which are their daily decisions that they made, especially as they pertain to each's, each spiritual development. Saul makes a series of choices that are not quite obedient to what God has instructed him to do. There are moments when Saul has clarity and he admits to David, you're right, such as the time when David was in a cave and that was the very cave that Saul went to go get some rest. And David's men were scared and David cuts off a piece of Saul's garment and he scares his own men because he, he could have fled, but he waits till Saul leaves and he follows Saul. And he, and he makes a, a repentance to him and says, look, you're the king, you're my father. Recognizes him as a father who let him sit at the king's table. And he tries his best to get Saul to reason that I'm not after you, I'm not here to destroy you. It is not my choice to make a fool out of you. I've done everything you've told me, Saul. I've been valiant in your army. I married your daughter. I befriended your son. Why are you out to kill me? And Saul repents. He has a moment of clarity. And he says, yes, this is how the Lord said it would happen. My throne is going to acquiesce to yours. I've lost favor with God. He had moments of clarity, but they didn't last very long. And the kingdom of self came back once again to the forefront of Saul's mind. Eventually, he turns to the occult for guidance, ends up committing suicide. But David, on the other hand, tries to consciously make the right decision even when it's difficult to do so. Have you ever found yourself there in that predicament? Look, living for God isn't about getting blessed all the time and just being wealthy and everything is going to be hunky-dory and you're going to have cars and cattle and lifestyles and vacations. That's not what living for God is all about. If you came into this fold thinking that you're just going to be blessed and God is supposed to favor you above all people just like this soccer player, you're, disillu you're, you're disillusioned. You're, you're not seeing clearly because there's other people that are hurting that need your testimony. And the Bible says the only way you can overcome the enemy is by the word of your testimony. Not the only way, but one of the ways that you can overcome them is by the word of your testimony. And the enemy, he's just getting more hostile like Saul. And in these last days, it's not going to get better. The next president isn't going to fix what's going on with our nation. We're headed towards the coming of the Lord. And in order for that to happen, there's some prophecies that must be fulfilled. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to vote. I'm going to do all the right things that a good citizen, I think, should do. But above and beyond all of that, I'm going to be faithful to the house of the Lord. I want to be near where God is. That may seem like a method of madness, but I can tell you, I can assure you that it is, it is, it is the only solution for our dying world to do today. David and Saul faced suffering. They both faced difficulty. 
They both had failures. But because David's methods were slow to anger, can you imagine if he was a man of anger? What angered David was those things that defiled the things of God. He didn't get angry quick at someone that was trying to kill him. This was even his father-in-law. But he didn't get angry. And Can you imagine if he let his anger get control of him? The Bible says, slow to anger, slow to wrath. And when you get there, sin not. Be ye angry and sin not. One of David's methods was he, he was he was slow to anger. He didn't take anything out on the house of the Lord. As a matter of fact, he went to the priests. And he repented because of that folly. It caused death. He went to worship. He went to Ahimelech's son. He, he talked to God. He counseled with God. Slow to anger. This was his method in the madness. The other method that he had that we see throughout his life is David was quick to repent. He wasn't a person that tried to point the finger. He wasn't somebody that tried to blame someone else and say, it's your problem, it's your fault, I'm mad at you. But he took all of his sin and he repented. He fell on his face several times. Ashes and sackcloth. He was a man of repentance. That is a method to the madness today. Paul said, I die daily. Repentance is a method of getting safety. Repentance is a method of finding salvation. Repentance is something that you should always do. It shouldn't be a prideful thing to get on your face and ask God, forgive me. I don't want to be full of sin. Forgive me of my folly, God. Wash me. Purge me with hyssop. Against thee and thee only have I sinned. As we stand together, this was the two of three of David's qualities. David's methods that preserved him. Another method in his madness was he persevered in his faith. He persevered in his faith. I want to say that again. He didn't decline. He didn't take a back seat. He didn't go the other way. But he kept moving forward in his faith despite of the situation around him. He had all kinds of battles to face from where I left this story off to till he became king. His wife, who told him, my dad is trying to kill you and helped him escape out of the window, even made a fake David in the bed, put some goat hair and a pillow there to fool the soldiers that were going to come in and kill David. This loving wife that loved David was given to another man while he was, while he was a fugitive. David faced many battles, but one battle he wasn't going to face was giving up on his faith. He wasn't going to give up on the house of God. Even the Lord told him, you can't build the tabernacle to house the ark. He said, okay, then I'm going to provide all the things that, that are needed for my son to build it. I'm going to give you all the provisions. I'm going to give you the very best. David persevered in his faith. So today I want to ask you, what's your methods in this madness? What are you doing? What are you doing to make sure that the will of God is progressing in your life? I know you go through battles, and I know some are struggling. I don't know specificities. I don't need to know them. But I know that if you're human and if you have flesh, 
then you are going through a trial. You are going through a battle. You have worries. You have things that you want God to take control of. What is your method in this madness? Are you going to stray away from the house of the Lord? Are you going to take counsel from something else that isn't godly? Are you going to be like Saul and get angry and try to kill all those that are godly around you? Maybe not with physical javelins, but with the javelin of your tongue. Or are you going to go to the house of the Lord and you're going to raise up your hands and each day, even before you go to bed, when you rise up early, you're going to say, God, I want to be near to you. I want to be faithful to you. I don't want to be angry, but I want to be joyful. Hallelujah. That's the method you need in this madness today. Amen. As we conclude this service and as our culture is, let's come to the front as they sing a song of invitation and let's make a promise unto the Lord. God, I'm going to give you worship. I'm going to give you glory. I'm going to magnify you in this time. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. The Holy Ghost is here. Hallelujah. Let's talk to the Lord for a moment. You are my strong power. I can run into you and find safety and help. Hallelujah. I want to
heartbeat of this message is all of us face trials, confusion, even if they're our own, even if they're self-induced. But in those moments, in those times of difficulty, you have a choice. God never, never will tell you what to do. He'll just show you what you need to do. It's your choice. You can be angry. You can start comparing yourselves to others and ask questions. And that's one of the worst things that you can do. And anger can make you bitter. That's where anger is really, really hard to deal with because it can cause you to be extremely bitter. And then bitterness is something that will strip your soul away from victory. I'm not going to get angry, but I'm going to persevere in my faith. And I'm going to ask God for help and counsel. I'm going to stick close to those that are godly. And I'm going to let them tell me of the good things of the Lord and give me direction. Hallelujah. It may seem like there's no help. It may seem that you have tried everything. David, you did everything right. You were just doing what you were told. Your obedience led to this anointing, which also led to this jealousy, which also led to all these things that were going against you. But one thing that was never against you was the will of God and the plan of God. Things are going to happen. But my friend, we have victory when we stick close to Jesus. That's the method in my madness. I'm going to stick close to him one more time. Let's lift our hands in conclusion as we pray. Savior, we love you. We thank you for the word of God today. We thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost that is in this place. Your spirit is imminent, and we worship you, God. You are all-knowing. You are omniscient. You are in control of the situation. That's why we say you are sovereign because you are in control. No matter what death occurs, no matter what society brings, no matter what chaos is in the world today or in my life, you are sovereign. And so I'm going to be near to you. I'm going to take heed to your counsel and give you praise. Hallelujah. And that's what we do today. We give you praise and we worship you. Thank you, Jesus.